Welcome back to the Killer Bees Nuts. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Here's Joel Blank and that Jeremy Branham guy. He's Blank on Branham. Ocho says uh, Carlos Marcelo, Santo Traficante Jr., and Jimmy Hoffa. Uh, Let's talk about who was really responsible for the assassination of JFK. Hmm. It's a Friday show. You want to get into some conspiracy theories? It's up to you, man. Isn't the number one conspiracy theory was Bush? Was it 9-11? No, that senior when he was running the CIA. Is that right? Yeah, I'm not that familiar with that I one. think so. The 9-11. Those ones are stupid. Yeah, the loose change one, I think, is the one that was yeah. very popular. Yeah, I don't really care for those. The Kennedy stuff's crazy. Oh, that's, yeah. I, I mean, but Jimmy Hoffa was pretty powerful, and Kennedy was going yeah, but who after killed, Jimmy Hoffa. Who killed Hoffa? Who do you think? I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah, I don't know enough about it to talk about this on the radio. Isn't there a rumor that he's buried in the end zone at Giants, old Giant Stadium? I've heard that he's buried under the concrete base of Yankee Stadium, old Yankee Stadium. I heard Giant Stadium, too. So, yeah, he could be anywhere, that Jimmy Hoffa. He's an elusive son of a gun. Uh, 713-780-ESPN. We're going to end up got. What's going to happen? We better shut up. Uh, Nick Casario did an exclusive at uh, Media Row. He did an exclusive with uh, the Houston Chronicle. Jonathan Alexander had the uh, the story uh, when it comes to um, Nick Casario. A couple of quotes that caught my attention. And I'm wondering if he tips his hand here. Uh, the first one's on John Grenard. And this one is not the one that really piqued my interest, but what he had to say about Grenard. Uh, did a great job this year. He's done a number of great things for the organization over a number of years. We'll continue to have dialogue here and kind of see where we end up uh, March 14th or before then, once we get to the free agency period. Uh, we'll work through it, and we, we'll see where we end up in March. Franchise tag deadline's March 1st. Hmm. I still think that the tag's going to be too much for them to place on Grenard. Because it's like 20, be 20 right? I think it's over 20. I've seen some places like up to 24. So I'm not exactly sure which one it is. But somewhere between 20 and 24. We'll work off of that. Mm-hmm. That's high. It is very high. That's especially a lot. when we thought that low was 13 and a half. Well, over 20 is extremely high, especially for the Texans. I just, I don't think they're going to franchise tag him. No, I don't, I don't think they're going to tag him either. Um, I think they're going to, they're going to know. I think he, he's just going to know, hey, either he and his agent, are looking for a bag that we can't supply, or it's going to be one of those deals where you're like, hey, if if we're having good dialogue, we can work something out. We believe we can get a, a multi-year deal done at a more friendly, a friendlier price, but still give him what he thinks he's he's valued at. Then so be it. I'm leaning that he's going to not be a Texan. I'm about sixty percent that he's gone. I think when you think about the ultimate um, scenario or prescription for. When a guy hits free agency, he he's living it, right? I mean, he maxed out himself this year, had his best year as a pro, caught everybody's eye with double-digit sacks and all the things that he did, especially when he was playing on the other side of Will Anderson, who everybody was looking at and expecting to be the best defensive player on their team. You de- you got to at least test the market and see what you are worth. I think he's going to hit the market, and I think that he's expecting, hey, look, I, I can't do much more than I did. I should get a payday pretty good from somebody. Yeah, I, I'm 60% he's gone. The The quote that caught my attention, uh, he was talking about acquiring players. And this is where you have to get Casario. Like when Casario's talking specific guys, he's not going to give you a whole lot. Like, we like what he did. We're very interested. We'll see where he goes. But whenever you get him on these kind of, like, vague questions, sometimes he'll go into philosophy. And I think you can put two and two together sometimes. Uh, on acquiring players, 
obviously they have to have a certain level of skill and they have to understand what their role is going to be when they walk into the building and what they're going to rely on each other. Uh, it's not going to be about one player. Whenever I read that, I don't think he's going to spend a lot of money on one player. Yeah, it does sound like I'm not going to go in and get a, a Josh Allen or go no. in and get you know a, a Patrick Queen. I'm going to do it, you know, swarm. I'm going to do it. Maybe even Grenard. If Grenard's going to cost you upwards of $18 million and he's saying it's not going to be about one player and D'Amico's talking about this defensive line needing to improve. Plus, you know how you know how he thinks all the time that the, you, can, you can find another guy just like that guy at a lesser price uh, by playing if you play your cards right. And he's been able to go from the Fighting Rex Burkheads to finding guys that have been not too expensive, but when you plug and play them, they play above their their previous grade. Yeah, I could see him thinking, yeah, I can find someone else on the other side. I can take the money that I would pay on one guy, spread it out over two or three, and make my overall defense better. I think he's actually, I mean, I think he's been good at finding those type of free agents that, like, you get them on a bargain. Like, he brought in George Fant right before camp. That was a pretty good deal. Mm -hmm. Uh, Noah Brown was a bargain free agent. He played, to me, he played above his salary. He did. Uh, Robert Woods, maybe on the brink of what his salary was. Yeah. Because I always say that Stevie Nelson, when he found Stevie Nelson Stevie at the Nelson. price he paid, was a, was a good guess. Even after the Rays, he played well. Mm-hmm. Even, even after even the Rays, he played Hughes well. Hughes, for what he paid for him, Jerry Hughes had had his moments in the last two years. The, the other, like Shaq Mason, like that was a trade and sign. That was a good one. Devin Singletary, that was a good one. Uh, picking up Derek Barnett and waivers, like you might be able to include that. I can understand if you he don't want well. to include that. He gave a one-year prove-it deal to Sheldon Rankins. I thought that he played well. Khalil he, Davis, he found him in the XFL. He played well. Ridgeway on a one-year deal got hurt, but before he got hurt, he played well. Even he picked up Griffin, and Griffin, we wondered what the hell happened to him, why they cut him so quickly yeah. and got rid of him, because when he played here, he played well. Yeah, so I think that his one of his strengths are actually being able to sign these bargain-free agents and keeping these bargain-free agents. And if you – and I still think that the Texans have, like, they don't have tremendous depth. Right. I think their two deep needs a lot of work. Now, that's why I'm confused with the D'Amico Ryans. we got to get better on the defensive line because I thought the defensive line was good. And if you're going to get better on the defensive line, how are you going to do that? If it's not through the draft, you're, 20, you're spending $17, $20 million on the top of market defensive tackle. Uh, that Because like, there's not a whole lot of guys that yeah, are I upgrades think, over Sheldon Rankins. Right. I think Rankins, is. if you just re-sign Rankins, no one's going to be upset with you. Yeah. Like, it's maybe just D'Amico about, would be. Yeah, it's just all about, does D'Amico think that's good enough? And and I don't think if they in year one if you draft Sweat or was Murphy or whoever right I don't know that in year one they're going to be better than Sheldon Rankins was this last season that that might be where he's talking about it though it might be like let's just get a super talented mm-hmm. defensive tackle one seven one one better splurge before you got to uh, pay the quarterback completely agree like there's no excuse for the Texans not to be at the cap they they need to be right at it now they're going to probably save like they're, they're probably going to keep like three million dollars to make sure that the powder is dry that way they can. Spend Spend it during the uh, the regular season to make moves, waiver we, we wires. Just trans- transitioned from back of the yeah. baseball card to the powder truck. <laughs> I'm just going to use that forever now that that I know what it means. I still not. Even, I don't even know if I'm using it right, but it sounds cool. It's it's unacceptable for the Texans not to be at the salary cap, right around it. Now for I don't sure. want them to be trapped into these massive deals long term, like like John Grenard four years. Like I don't know if he's injury prone. I don't know Mike Evans for like four year deal. I don't know. Like that that might be longer than what they end up getting. So I don't want them to spend foolishly. 
but I want them to spend all of what they got, even if it's one, two-year deals on guys that might not be like stars, but guys that are helping your two deep. I think that the best teams are the ones that have the best two deeps. If you're star dependent in the NFL and that star gets hurt and your two deep sucks, you're going to suck. You're, you're, you're going to suffer greatly. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm a depth guy. I like, I like to build a lot of really good depth. Yeah, and I think that, look, D'Amico has always talked about developing talent too. But I just I just keep going back to his comment at the end of the year about how important it is to upgrade the defensive line. And I'm going, I, I thought that, I guess maybe I was looking at it wrong, but I think we all agreed it was a huge upgrade over the last two years. And I love the fact that Collins and Rankins really made a difference in the internal side of the defensive line. I don't know how you upgrade that without going against the principles we just said that you just said that Nick said. He's not going to overpay for some of the top names on the defensive line, I don't think. So then how are you getting better unless you just get some above-average players and spend the money on, of what one guy would cost on two or three? And I don't think that, like with that quote, it's not going to be about one player. I think that kind of tells us that they're going to disperse that money. We, we've went over the, the math on it. 57.4 in cap space. They can, mm-hmm. they can get more, whether it's contract restructures, whether it's cutting some guys that you can have some cap savings. We talked about the special. You still need specialists. You still have a kicker and a punter that you have to sign. That's going to cost you at least $5 million, maybe more. You have the rookie class that's going to cost you 3.3. So you do the math there. You're looking at $8.5 million. You're looking at roughly 49-ish, $49 million. If you spend 20 of that on Mike Evans, well, how are you feeling say, all these no other Mike holes? Evans. There might not be a Saquon Barkley unless he goes under 10 or right at 10 or 11. But, yeah, I just think that that basically gives you the, the, the first big hint that they're not going to go big game hunting. So am I crazy here to think that, that he might be tipping his hand here? No, I think there's some legit. I think there's definitely some legitimacy to it. The fact that it would be, it's easy to deductively reason that they are not going to break the bank on one player. Three 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 eight says I thought they had like seventy million. That's that's what you get for thinking. Now I, I'm teasing a little bit. Now, well, you and I did that exercise too. If the fringe guys that you cut, you could actually you add a little there. bit more to it. Well, well, people don't calculate into this though. Are the reserve, reserve future contracts that that takes around like nine million dollars? They don't factor in the rookie class because you got a budget for the rookie class that you're going to have. And then you have to budget in for players that you expect to be on this team. The Texans, they, they're they not at 70. They're at 57.4 after the reserve future contracts. If you go rookie class, rookie class out of that, they're at 54. Let's just round, round and say 54 million. You start looking at kicker and punter. The average salary is three for a kicker, two for a punter. But they were above average salary last year. I wouldn't mind having Kymie Fairbaird and Cam well, Johnson especially with, back. Especially with what you saw out of Amendola when he wasn't there. And he couldn't kick a, fi- a plus 50 field goal. So maybe you're looking at spending a million dollars more than the average there. And that's all of a sudden going to turn into seven million. So now you're at 47. Like that's why that 70 million that was out there, like on graphics, it was, it was misleading. Mm-hmm. It was misleading. It was never 70 million. And then once, and we haven't even talked about the two deep. Like you have, we did the math on how many starters you could potentially be looking at. You need a third receiver. Was it 11? We said 10 or 11. There was like 10 or 11, but that was Excluding counting specialists. And kicker and yeah. Team, so yeah. maybe you're at like seven or eight. But if you're at seven or eight starters, how many guys on your two deep do you need? Probably 10 more. So there's like 18 or so, some, let's call it 15 to 20 players on your two deep roster that you need to add to this team. And you have a full allotment of draft picks, but how many of those draft picks are going to factor into your two deep? Four, five, maybe? So now you're looking at 10 to 15 free agents that need to occupy your starters or your backups. Yeah, because we kept harping on how important it was to have the depth that they didn't have. 
And quite honestly, they lucked out in a lot of ways to find the guys they did that some of the ones you named and, and that could fill in when they were needed most and step up to at least be, even King bringing King back to do yeah. what he did was amazing. And I, look, and maybe you can saw, you get a few of those budget guys, but even a few of those budget guys are going to cost you three to five million dollars. Mm-hmm. Still going to cost you three to five million dollars. And if you find five guys at three to five million, that's fifteen to twenty five million dollars, and all of a sudden forty seven million, you got twenty million dollars left to play with. And you still have a bunch of holes. There ain't no big game hunting. Three, 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 eight. Uh, I, I saw places were saying seventy. Thank you for explaining. Yeah, I mean that was out there. I mean we saw those graphics too. They were just super misleading. They didn't factor in uh, some of the cost of doing business in the NFL before you even get to the free agency pe- period uh, in the league. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. Speaking of these personnel decisions, do you think that CJ Stroud should have input? on these personnel decisions. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN. It's time to sit back, relax, and enjoy this next bit of brilliance with Joel and Jeremy, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios. It's the Killer Bees. He's blank. I'm Branham. Um, this fellow on the Twitch. Oh, I lost it. Cham. Oh, chap. JM Chap, if you upgrade the depth, you do upgrade the overall D-line. Uh, your number ones get, what, 70% of the snaps? Yeah, that's probably accurate, maybe even on the high end. It just feels with D'Amico saying we got to upgrade our defensive line that he's talking about the starting four. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're onto something. Maybe it's about being better too deep than it is like those starters. But if you're better too deep, are you paying top dollar for the num- for the defensive end opposite of Will Anderson? That's the big question. That's kind of the mystery of the offseason for me. And obviously, the biggest challenge is: is are you going to? You think that you can do what you need to do to swarm and be more effective as a unit by not overpaying one guy? But what if you take a step back? What if it's not the? What if it's not the case? What if you can't find those guys, or there's not that same continuity? I would be extremely concerned, depending on how they spend the money that they don't adequately get upgrades at multiple positions then if they're not going to pay Grenard and they're not going to pay big money to have a replacement or spend that if they're not going to go big game hunting, let's say that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of, it feels like, to me, I think starting four, but maybe he's onto something. Maybe maybe it's just upgrading the overall too deep, but it's not the read that I get, but maybe I'm wrong on this. Uh, here's a question for you, 713-780-3776. Should C.J. Stroud have input on personnel decisions from I think we've had these conversations dating back to when we were dealing this with Deshaun my big thing is is that conversations yes should he be defended in the decision making process not the final decision I would want to hear what my quarterback has to say specifically about offensive talent about uh, you know skill position type players about especially receivers and tight ends and I'd want to seriously talk to him in terms of you know, working with a player that has that kind of skill set, how that fits in the offense, and get his kind of feedback. But I'm not going to let him make decisions for me and for my franchise, no matter how big of a, a piece of it he is. Yeah, this is it's always tricky because this is kind of the Deshaun thing. Like, mm-hmm. hey, Deshaun, who should we interview as the head coach? Oh, these are the guys you like. We're not going to talk to any of them. And who knows if that played a part in Deshaun wanting out. We learned a lot of stuff later that maybe also played a part of Deshaun wanting out. It's it's tricky because you have to have the relationship. Like I think it's important to have the relationship with your best player, uh, especially the For quarterback. Sure. Now, the quarterback can't have hurt feelings if you don't listen to those ideas. 
Um, so it's always tricky. Like you don't have to deal with hurt feelings if you never ask him. But if you ask him and he gives you a, na- a couple of names and then you never even kick the tires, maybe those hurt feelings come into play. My feel on C.J. Stroud is that he's probably not that guy. Like I don't think that he would have the hurt feelings. But Stroud is incredibly loyal. And the reason that it made me think of this question is because the more, like C.J. Stroud's been doing the rounds at Media Row and all of this stuff, whenever I hear him talk about Dalton Schultz, he talks glowingly about Dalton. He loves Dalton Schultz. And I've been on the, I'm probably not paying Dalton Schultz $9, 10 11 $12 million on a two-, three-year deal because I think you can find somebody who's super comparable to Dalton Schultz at 4 to $5 million per year, maybe maybe a little bit higher than that. So it's can like is that a position where you're going to spend a little bit more than you really want to for a player who's kind of comparable? You expect C.J. Stroud to raise the talents of the players around him or at least the production of the players that that are around him as well so in like that sense when you have the conversation with Stroud if you do uh what do you think of Schultz I think he's going to say really good things about Schultz so now does that change the calculus on re-signing Dalton Schultz so here's where I say the the answer to that is going to be that you have that you have communication with him before during and after so you're going to get his feedback, right? And and say it's Schultz or say it's a couple of running backs or say it's whoever. At the end of the day, you talk to him before, you get his feel, you ask him how, you know, how he thinks that that said player fits. And then during the process or after the process, if you don't go the direction that he wanted you to go, you have the explanation of, "Hey, just wanted to let you know, I know you really loved so and so, but here's what happened. Either his agent wanted way more than what the other guy was offering. We thought they were similar in their skill sets, but we hear you and we heard what you were looking for. We think the guy we got can still do the things you want a guy at that position can do." And I think he has to be cool with that. Yeah, I, and that's probably where the honesty comes into play, where they maybe didn't have that with Deshaun, where like they, hey, like we're gonna have this conversation, and then we're not gonna check back with you. Yeah. So maybe it's just the the communication, because I think that there should be healthy dialogue between Casario, D'Amico, and the quarterback of your football team when you're talking about offensive weapons. I think yeah, I think it's I think it's different in the fact that if we're talking about a coach and a general manager, that's completely to me where. That's more ownership and upper management, and and yeah, you can get some input from your quarterback if you want, and if or, or your top players, but you don't have to. But again, it, it would just be a matter of style in the locker room in terms of culture. Yeah. But when you're talking about your quarterback and offensive players, especially like or an offensive coordinator, then I would say yeah, then it's more imperative that if you have your franchise quarterback, he has you have communication with him, and he has some say in terms of what he thinks would work. See, listening to Stroud talk about Schultz has me on the fence. Like, I've went from I'm out on Schultz at what I project him to get paid because I think that there's some free agents that, again, can be comparable players to Dalton Schultz. But then when I hear Stroud talk about, you know, his connection with Schultz, I'm like, well, dang. You know, do I really want to eliminate that from C.J. Stroud? Do I want to – and if I don't, how much am I willing to spend more than that comparable free agent tight end – to not necessarily like I don't want to use the word keep CJ Stroud happy because Stroud's gonna be fine, mm-hmm. but to keep things that were successful a year ago in place. Like what is that price range for me? And that's that might be what you have to and Dalton Schultz had quotes too, like I think we can find mutual ground. So it's like, okay, and maybe Schultz can give you not a huge discount, right. but maybe it's a million or two less than what he would get in the open market because he wants to play with CJ Stroud. So I'm more open to the idea after Stroud has talked all week, 
the one quote from Dalton Schultz to the reunion of Dalton Schultz as opposed to letting Dalton Schultz leave. And I think where I would draw the lines probably it's difficult for me to go more than ten million. I'd say ten is ten is if it's eleven, it's like eh, that's whatever. That, that's that line in the yeah. sand where because you and I have talked about this several times, and I really believe, unlike years past. I understand everybody's out to get their money, but I really truly believe that the change in culture, the change in outlook, the change in, by knowing what you have, especially at quarterback, will change some people to not try and get the absolute maximum value if it means being in this environment, playing with a winner, with a quarterback like that. And I think that that's going to play a factor in more than just Dalton Schultz, at least I hope so. And I feel like that's a huge advantage for the Texans to have that they didn't have previously. Yeah. And I could see Schultz being one of those guys because of how, I mean, the, you, you go back and listen to all the quotes throughout the year. CJ never wavered on this. Even when Dalton Schultz dropped a few passes or whatever, he was just like, I'm going to him. I know he's going to, and he's been a huge help for me. Yeah, I think it's it's case by case. Like, there's going to be some guys who are like, I don't care. Just give me the bag. Like, Steven Nelson sounds like that yeah, to me. Yeah, he's definitely that guy. Yeah, so it, I think it is case by case. You're probably more likely to get some of the veterans uh, to, to come play for, you know, a contender and then a quarterback that they believe in. Uh, now, a guy who's been here for a year, maybe that's the case too, but then, like, what's the price of that savings? Are you getting a 5% discount? Are you getting a 10% discount? And I think that's the that's going to be something that Casario has to decide, specifically at the tight end position. But I'm more open to the idea of Dalton Schultz coming back to the Texans because of C.J. Stroud. I mean, it's it's hard to know how much is smoke and mirrors. I think with C.J. Stroud when he was just drafted, but he has like on the record quotes that he told the Houston Texans and Nick Casario to draft Tank Dell after they selected him. Yeah. So like maybe they already listened once. I mean, you I don't, would think Nick because it's in his backyard. I think so too. Paid attention. I just maybe, but maybe. Well, I've maybe. seen. I, I saw him out there. I saw him watch. Yeah, I'm not saying that he was watching Tank, but he sure, was. He was sure. a, a couple of U of H games. Now maybe that's like what you needed to push it over the top because I believe that Casario wanted Tank. Like mm-hmm. Tank is a good player that was drafted in the third round. I'm sure a lot of general managers wanted Tank, but it's oh okay. He I want him. My quarter, my quarterback I just drafted, who were drafting with the idea of being a franchise quarterback, he he wants him too. Maybe it's what pushes him over the top. Already mm-hmm. interested, but now it kind of confirms what you are already thinking, and now, well, that's automatic. Now, now like I got to do ca- it. If you're caught between two guys, yeah. similar skill sets, but you know my quarterback's already told me he wants this guy, so why not go that route if it's everything else seems to be somewhat similar? Mm-hmm. I get that part of it for sure, but I think that you, the other, like a Cashman-type guy. Cashman had a career year in a system that could not have fit him any better. But you also know that is he ever going to have, if you're him, am I ever going to have another chance to get the kind of money that I might be able to get here? And are you willing to sacrifice the perfect fit with the perfect yeah. chance to, to flourish over that bag? Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing is like they just have to have better communication than they did with Deshaun. That's the key. Because it's like, if, if let's say Schultz wants $10 million, but... Nick Casario can get Curtis Samuel and Noah Fant for $10 million total or $12 million total. Like, they need to present that to CJ. Be like, hey, like, we can add a good wide receiver and we can add Noah Fant, who, like, that's personally my number one target if they're going to move on from Schultz because I don't think he's going to get a lot of money. And I really like the player. So, like, as long as they tell CJ that, like, this is what's going on. We can get Schultz, but I could also get you these two pieces for the price of yeah, one. You did him a solid. You kept him in the loop. Yeah. You let him know what was going on. You didn't try and you, you, so he doesn't have and he's not nothing's left a chance where you think you didn't say anything to him after you decided to go a different direction. Now he's sitting there thinking, "Oh, 
They they went. That's what they did to Deshaun. Yeah, exactly. they, they went to him. They said, "Hey, what are your thoughts on these guys?" He's in Mexico, and then he finds out on ESPN that they've hired Nick Casario when he thought they were going to hire Omar Khan. Yeah. Like he just they they said they were going to involve him, and then they didn't. Like if you're going to make that decision, exactly. you have to involve people. Either you don't involve them, or if you do, you have to be super thorough. transparent. Yeah, yeah you got to be, be thorough super with yep. clear. Now that that is the most important thing. That that's for sure the most important thing. The second thing is, like, how much are you willing to overspend from your principal based on what Stroud wants? Not much. I, I think you have to tell CJ that. Like, look, we have a plan financially. Mm-hmm. We can't go way outside the box here. We're going to do our best. But, like, if they don't play ball, they don't play ball. And part of that might be, hey, CJ, why don't you call Dalton yeah. up here and say, hey, man, <laughs> they want you back. But you're about $3 million over where they want you. Yeah, that's the communication throughout, the thorough communication throughout, because you got to say, hey, look, we only got so much money to play with here. These are the things we're trying to accomplish. It's not just signing our own, but we'd also like to bring in some too. So understand that we hear you, and we'd love that too. But at a certain point, if he gets to a certain level, we got to look at plan B. 9639, would Brock Bowers be an option? Uh, not, not unless... The Texans make another huge blockbuster, uh, blockbuster deadline trade. That's the only way I draft see that trade, happening. Right? What's that? The, what the did I say? Draft deadline. You said deadline of draft trade. Like you get. You yeah, I meant I meant draft. Yeah, day. and you're gonna have to give up, right? Then you're also talking about because we're talking about how many starters you got to replace and how much depth you're trying to add. How many picks are you giving up to move mm-hmm. up to get one guy at one position? It, it, it feels like because it happened last year that it's not going to happen this year. I would but, tend to lean that way as well. But we do know that Nick Casario is a willing Dylan son he of is. a gun. So maybe Nick Casario would be willing to do that. So um, I I don't see it in the cards, but hey, I, I was shocked last year. Maybe I'll be shocked again. But I do like Brock Bowers for what it's worth. it was in the cards last year <laughs> but i do li- i mean I, i'm a i have a draft crush on on brock bowers i've had it for a long time you guys have been on brock bowers shoot midway through the college season yeah i've been a big fan of his all right 713-780-ESPN how much input would you give cj stroud on personnel decisions the super bowl is decided by what i'm out of here flying to cincinnati the boys take you the rest of the way it's killer bees on espn 97.5 and espn 92.5 Back to the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5. The show name is a reference to how many great Astros' last name begin with the letter B, who were playing back in the 90s when they were not winning World Series. Bagwell, Biggio, Barry, Bell, and eventually Bergman. You might not remember Barry and Bell, but trust me, you remember Blank and Brenham. Here they are now, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios. Hey, back on the bees, Joseph and myself till six. As Jeremy told you, he has a flight to catch so that he can get to Cincinnati uh, for the big game for the Cougs tomorrow. That'll be fun to keep an eye on. But uh, Joe, as Jeremy teased for us, the Super Bowl, obviously, as we all know, in the big game is on Sunday. And a lot of people have tried to figure out different things as to what the key to the game is. We already did our busy money. We already did our actual picks to the game. But keys to the game is a different story. Uh, you're looking at this game, and you're thinking the key to victory is what? I mean, for me, I just don't believe San Francisco can do what they've done the last two weeks for a third time in a row. I don't, I don't think they're. I don't think that they'll be capable against the Kansas City Chiefs defense to lead a, a multi-score comeback. It, they're just they're too talented, and then the quarterback on their side with Mahomes, he's too good as well. So for me, it's very similar to what the Chiefs did last week. It's get out early. 
if you get out early and you put the 49ers behind, I think it, 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 it makes their defense worse because, you know, those big names who aren't really having a lot of production aren't able to pin their ears back and go get the quarterback. And then, frankly, it just means that the ball is in Brock Purdy's hands where he has to go win games and make throws against one of the best defenses he'll play all year. Now, can I push back on that yep. before I get to mine? Because the first thing that I would say to that is the one thing that I'm fearful of is that they can't do what they've done for the last two games again on the other side of that by saying they can't be this bad for three straight games, right? They got lucky the last two games. That, that Green Bay should have beat them for sure, and Detroit had them on the ropes, no doubt. And they had, they, you know, with, like you said, the fourth quarter comebacks were enough to get them where they needed to go. I don't know that they're going to play this badly a third straight week. Obviously, Debo will be a big factor, and with two weeks of rest, you would think he's going to be available and better than he was uh, to finish those last two games. But I, I just wonder, because the team was so good for the majority of the regular season, I'm just, I would be very, very surprised if they were bad again, this bad again for a third straight game. Yeah, I'm trying, it's hard to figure out who they are. Cause like mm-hmm. we, we know they're one of the best two teams in the NFL. We, we thought that before the season. Like uh, you guys both had the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. I had the 49ers. So like we, all, all of us were at least half right. It's been so clear that they were that good, but you're right. They've played so poor for like six of the eight quarters. It feels like so far in the playoffs. They have just not been the team no, yeah. that we thought they were going to be. So it, I, that's where it's hard is to that, is that who they are is that a trend is that like a slump that they just hit at the wrong time because I really do think they're extremely lucky to be where they are playing as bad as they've played no matter how talented their Absolutely. roster is but you're right like now this is the Super Bowl and, and and the key to me though is is that now again Purdy's never been on a stage this big he's never been to a bigger game in his life and, and expected to have to play well and for a lot of reasons that we've talked about previously, he needs this to maintain this, to be the starting quarterback of the Niners, to get a contract that he's trying to get. And I think that if he plays poorly, the, there's there's a ton of pressure on him because if he plays poorly, the Niners could move on from him. And it doesn't cost them a whole hell of a lot if they feel like they have to upgrade that position. Yeah, I, yeah, I think so too. Like, I know we've talked about that, the idea. And it's not, it just sounds so bizarre when you say it that like a quarterback's job could be on the line, but it just. It wouldn't shock me going back to when we talked about on Tuesday the Tom the Tom Brady story, you know that like Tom Brady like they tried to get him out of retirement. I know it's Tom, but Kirk Cousins is out there. You mm-hmm. know, I don't think Russell Wilson would be that upgrade, but there are quarterbacks that could be available in this market this offseason. Like we've seen more quarterback movement over the last couple of years than we ever really have. So yeah, the like, choices aren't ideal for them in terms of a guy that you could just say, "Oh, plug and play that dude," and they're already going to be better. Cousins yeah. is the obvious choice, but Cousins is Cousins is going to cost you some coin and they got a lot of salary on their roster already. So that's a that's a dicey one, but he obviously has a game even a, a glorified game manager. He's better than Brock he could be better than Brock Purdy with all the weapons that he has. Now, I like Brock. Like I I would not move on from him. I think he does just enough to where like in, unless you can find that massive massive upgrade, mm-hmm. I can't imagine they would actually move on with where they're at salary cap wise. But you just never know what Kyle Shanahan is thinking. Like the, their right. whole quarterback process has been has been fascinating to watch. Like you have Trey Lance, you have Jim Garoppolo, you have Brock Purdy. Like there was even people who like before the season thought Sam Darnold would eventually win the job. They were obviously wrong. Like it just nothing would surprise me. I mean, clearly the most pre- it's the most pressure you think on Brock, or do you think it's on Kyle Shanahan? Because 
even though at least on both of them, honestly. Yeah, I mean, even though like I, I think Dan Quinn gets an unfair pass as the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons when they blew that twenty eight to three lead. It, Kyle Shanahan it was gets all, all the blame. Because you stop running the football. Yeah. You run the football. You run the clock. You run the clock. You look at the, you do the numbers and do the math and, and look at the game. You win the game. Yeah. So that to me is I, I think the pressure is on Shanahan. Not that like he would ever be in danger of losing his job. He's one of the best coaches in the NFL. We all know it. If he got fired at some point over the next two years, probably eighty percent of the NFL would fire their coach to and replace he would get him with an, Kyle Shanahan. He would get a raise. So like, it, and that's where like, so that's not like the, you know, it's not in terms of his job security. It, it's the pressures on him. I think it's legacy. Like if he really wants to be viewed as one of the top three, four coaches in the NFL, he's got to win this game. I don't think they're going to. I also just don't expect it to be their fault. Like I, I think the reason why we stayed away from the under is because we're all expecting this to be a close game. Mm-hmm. Like it, I, I would not. I think this game will be decided by three points, and that's why I would bet on Mahomes. And, and from my perspective. The big thing that I would say is the Chiefs win this game if they can stop the run because of the fact that they didn't have to stop the run against Baltimore, who completely went away from their biggest strength offensively, which is to run the football, because they got down on the opening drive. Mahomes went down on the opening drive, put points on the board. They had two touchdowns in the first half that had the, the Ravens on their heels, and they ran the ball like nine times. But the Ravens can run the football. We know the Niners can run the football. But if you take, kind of going back to what we were talking about with Purdy, if you take McCaffrey out of this game from a running perspective, if you take the running game out of the equation or try to shut it down as much as possible by focusing on that first and foremost and put it on Brock Purdy, now and the, and the corners are capable for Kansas City, I think that if the, if the Kansas City Chiefs are successful stopping the run, they will win the game. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like, I because I, the Debo question is still the one too. That like, what is how effective is he going to be? Like, he has not been since he got hurt the Debo that we normally see. Mm-hmm. And like, if he's healthy, that's what I think is so tough about the Super Bowl because there's just these that that two weeks off where like all that time for him to heal and get better. It, it's if he's a hundred percent. And we, I don't think they really have given us any insight to that this week. And, and gamesmanship-wise, yeah, they yeah, should. Yeah, like they're not going to tell you like, oh, yeah, he's 100% fine. Like, Or even if they say it, I might not believe it. So I, I think if they stop – if the Kansas City Chiefs stop Christian McCaffrey, it is going to be a huge plus for them because he makes that thing go. Like well, whether it's off – like on the pass game or the run game, Christian McCaffrey, he's one of the most dynamic players in the NFL. If you can't contain him, he's going to have a tough snake, day. Right? He's the head of their snake. But I include Debo in that because I think that whether – We've heard anything, nothing. He's playing, he's not playing. The biggest thing is I don't know that he's going to be even close to 100% because the shoulder injury, all it takes is one hit, and and he's probably going back to where he was. And that limits you even more because when we talk about why Purdy was so successful, get it in the hands of your studs and let them do their work. Well, he's one of their best players, not named McCaffrey, right? He's one of the two best players offensively that they have along with George Kittle. Those, Those are your big three. If you're focusing on McCaffrey, and if Debo's less than 100%, huge advantage to the Chiefs because now Purdy's got to beat you with Kittle and Ayuk, and you can and your secondary is is above average. So I think the Chiefs have a huge advantage if they can stop both those guys and, and focus on the run and, and make Debo if he's going to be a, a pass catcher go ahead, but take McCaffrey out of the run game, and I think that that that's the biggest advantage for the Chiefs. Yeah, it's just I don't know the the whole thing. This game. I don't think we could ask for a better Super Bowl because even though we all confidently pick the Chiefs, like nothing will surprise me 
on Sunday. If the 49ers win this game by two touchdowns and their defense is finally what we thought they were going to be, like it, it wouldn't stun me because there's so many wrinkles to this that like we're just you can't prepare for as someone that just like watches this game. We saw last year like the Eagles had you know one of the best pass rushers in the NFL, but they're playing in Arizona where they're basically it looked like they were on skates, like they couldn't get any pressure and they were leading the league in sacks by miles, but they couldn't do anything last year. And I think honestly to that point, Joe Chase Young's a huge factor because Chase Young's been a huge disappointment for what they got him for. And, and again, there's a lot of pressure on him because he's been awful in the run game. He hasn't been anywhere close to what he was supposed to be in the pass game when they said, well, add him, you know, because he's playing for a bad Washington team. But now add him to Bosa and the guys they have on their D-line. They're supposed to be so much better. And he just he hasn't been a huge upgrade for them to where I think that that's going to be a key factor, too. And there's a lot of pressure on him. But I just think. Experience matters. I think that a lot of these guys going into this situation and, and, and you know and hoping that it all works their way, whereas Mahomes and, and and Kelsey and all the guys on the Chiefs that have been there and done that consistently, this is just another walk in the park for them. All right, what do you, Todd, Todd the show says, I hope it's a 49ers blowout. Chiefs haven't been good all year and it overperformed for the playoffs. I don't hate I don't, that. I don't hate that take. I, I do. Really? I, hate, I hate the Niners. I hate Kyle Shanahan. I just personally and otherwise they they just, and of course because of the Green Bay connection and I really thought that they should have lost to, to Green Bay and to Detroit. I just I don't want to see the Niners win the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean I don't. Why do you hate them? Because they always beat the Packers. Yeah, yeah. I always just forget that. And like, then personally, because Kyle Shanahan and I play basketball, he tried to take my knees out a couple times. Oh, I, I didn't get, know that. Oh, big time. I didn't know that, Joel. Oh, big time. I've said it before. We, we, we would have done 200 on BZ Money then, despite him even more. Oh, I can't stand him. I did not know that. Yeah, it was the Rockets against the Texans. I told you we did it in football and did it in basketball. And I was lighting them up in basketball. And he tried to take my knees out. And I literally went nose to nose to, with him and said, I'm trying to go to work tomorrow. You do that again, and I will knock your ass down. And we got into it. They had to separate us. And everybody goes, you know who that is? Do you know who his dad is? I go, I don't care. Speaking I of. don't care. See, Mike Zimmer got the Cowboys job. Did he get it? Or it looks like it's going to be the D.C. Wow. In Dallas. Uh, before we go to break, uh, yeah. the 40th annual Houston Fishing Show is coming to George R. Brown Convention Center from February 14th through Sunday the 18th. It's everything for the fishermen. All new rods, reels, and lures. There will also be continuous clinics by expert fishermen covering salt and freshwater fishing. If you love to fish or just want to learn about fishing, don't miss the 48th annual fishing show. Check out HoustonFishing.com. Caller number five wins a pair of tickets right now at 713-780-3776. We'll do our car wreck of the day. A normal car wreck of the day. When we get back here on mm. ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Hey, before we go to the break, one final word before you make your final preparations to get everything ready for the big game Sunday and who's coming over to the house and what you're going to be eating is as important as what we're going to watch on TV. Get you some Daisy Dips. It's a no-brainer, right? You can do whatever you want to get all the other food, it, but the Daisy Dips are going to make everything better. Your favorite chips taste better if you got the French onion and the ranch dip standing by, and it's made by Daisy, the best in the business, and you don't have to make it in the kitchen. All you got to do is go to your grocery store and head to the dairy aisle and grab you those two tubs. No-brainer. Simply put, you are going to be a winner no matter how the game goes. Go to your local grocery store. Get that French onion dip. Get that ranch dip. Put those tubs out there with your pizza and your wings, your chips and your veggie platters, and you are going to be a winner no matter how the game goes. Get to the grocery store now before Sunday and get those Daisy Dips. 
You all right? My leg is broken. The bone's coming through. Let me see. Let me see. you brick. Where's my fucking money? This is the car wreck of the day brought to you by carwrecktexas.com. You heard the man. Spencer. Car wreck of the day. We do this. Four days a week normally. I'm extremely happy to say we're going to do it five because you know the alternative is not something that I'm a big fan of and I've been called sensitive and they're not wrong, but that's fine. I own that now. Uh, Joseph, do you want to start us or shall I? Yeah, I can start. I don't really know even where to start though. Because oh, I got one. I don't know if it's UCLA, if it's Ohio State, if it's just Chip Kelly himself. But Chip Kelly has left USC, the head coach of USC. UCLA. Of UCLA, my bad. uh, Of UCLA to go be the offensive coordinator at Ohio State. It seems bizarre. Uh, Michael Lombardi, who ditched us, he reported earlier today that Chip Kelly apparently last year interviewed for the Cincinnati job under the table to try to leave UCLA then. To be Cincinnati, University of Cincinnati, or... Yes, like the team that Jeremy is going, going to go see tomorrow. Play basketball. Yes. Yeah. So, I think what this means to me, the car wreck is actually UCLA. Uh, it seems like they have an NIL issue where they don't really want to pony up and go get NIL, and they don't want to deal with any of that. But even then, like the idea of being the head coach of a Big Ten team to now being the offensive coordinator of a Big Ten team... Makes zero sense. Seems bizarre. Like, I would ride out UCLA going to the Big Ten and get my contract money as far as it'll take me, and I'm pretty sure someone's still going to give me another gig. But maybe it is more so to the standpoint of, as the head coach, when all the pressure is squarely on your shoulders for NIL, transfer portal, and then trying to stay competitive and in, in, dare I say, except for last season, a more competitive conference, that maybe he just got tired of the fire. And decided to duck out when he could, because you guys, we were talking about this earlier. I just don't know that Chip Kelly's name and it's not synonymous with like offensive genius anymore. And you kind of people figured out his way of doing the offense to where I just don't think a lot of people are going to be knocking down his door to hire him again. Yeah. Now I do think like career path wise, if Chip Kelly's idea is okay, I'm going to go to Ohio State. I'm going to try to win some national championships because um, Ryan Day hasn't done that either. I can either be Ryan Day's replacement if he gets fired or goes somewhere else, or if we just have great success, maybe this will help me get that next big kind job. Kind of re- re- recreate the hype around my name and yeah. get a gig. But I don't think he replaces Day because I think that if Day goes, he goes because Day's not calling plays anymore. He is. Yeah. So I, I, I don't think it, I think it's more the 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 I guess the latter of of trying to resurrect his name. Yeah, resurrect your name so that when you know the next time a Alabama or Auburn or one of those jobs is open, that you can be in the running for that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna follow yours up with another one where I don't know if this is on Pat Beverly, this is on Daryl Morey. But the bottom line is, Pat Beverly was traded at the trade deadline, and he was traded from Daryl Morey and the Sixers, who were his general manager was his general manager here, and also his general manager in Philadelphia. And Pat Beverly went out today and said, "I went to Daryl the other day, and I asked him, am I getting traded?'" And he said, "No, no, you, no, uh, uh-uh, uh, not gonna happen." And then Daryl traded him. 
So is it shame on Pat Beverly for believing anything since he lied to James Harden and the first thing James Harden said is, Daryl Morey, you're a liar. And now Daryl Morey, that again, is proven to be a liar. Like, is it on Daryl for not giving his player his word and sticking to it? Or is it on Pat Beverly for basically believing that what Daryl says he's actually going to do? I think it's on both of them. Because, like, if you're Pat Bev, you have to know that of all the GMs in the NBA, the one you probably can't trust the most is Daryl Morey. Like, he's always going to do what he believes is in the best interest of his team. He doesn't care about feelings. Like, he cares about building a winner, which, or getting more assets, because, like, maybe Embiid's not even going to play you this year. You said the magic word, Joseph. Like, and, and so I, I, I kind of go more on Pat Bev for believing him. The magic word is assets. And the magic word with Daryl and assets is. Forever in a day when I was with the Rockets, the rumor in the locker room, not rumor, but the talk in the locker room was Daryl treats all of us like assets, and as soon as we're here, he can turn around and move us. He'll tell us we're not, but we know that we are, and he has lived up to that billing. That's why, even when he goes out in free agency, and I know of several prominent free agents that they were really close to signing, that at the end of the day went, yeah, I'm the apple of his eye this year, but next year I could be gone because he's going to move on for somebody else, and I want my family to feel you know, that they can trust where we're going to be at. We're not doing this. Yeah, honestly, I will say for Pat, like, I think this is a good move for him. That's a team in Milwaukee that they struggle defensively. Like, there are going to be moments where, like, he's going to be able to come in for Lillard or be on the court with Lillard, Giannis. Like, I think it's going to work out. Frankly, he can move back home. He can move back home. It takes an hour to get some, hour and a half to get to Milwaukee from Chicago. That's an extra added value point. But the bigger point is Doc Rivers, who he knows, Doc Rivers is defensive-minded. They needed a defensive upgrade, and he's replacing Cameron Payne, who wasn't doing anything for them. So no matter what he brings is going to be an upgrade. And then from a toughness and kind of louder voice in the locker room when you get Giannis and Dame telling everybody what they want, he's going to probably help them more than people might consider at first glance. I think it's a good move for the Bucks. I also, my favorite part about this was that he then tweeted today, someone tell campaign to take Go his take physical, physical. Yep. so I can play basketball. Yeah, because he and, and, and Joe outside just not. I'm not going to say it's a car wreck. Weirdest thing ever. You know, I watched the Bucks last night. I'm watching the Bucks game. Do you know who was sitting courtside? Oh, Robin reading Lopez. a book. Yeah. Robin Lopez. So I texted my buddy at the Bucks. Those are his brother's season tickets, and he had nothing to do until he went to Sacramento today after being traded. So he read a book sitting courtside. Well, hopefully they cut him and he's a rocket. I don't know that he. Yeah. He could get back up. He's yeah, better maybe. than Jock. That's a good call. Who wins? Um, I'm going to go this Chip Kelly UCLA thing. I think I'm going to go Chip Kelly as well because I just don't understand leaving head coach money for offensive coordinator money. Unless it's no matter the same what. if your silly's broke, but who knows? And Ohio State's got money to pay him. Maybe. And they and with O'Brien taking the freaking BC job, they had to do something. All right. That'll do it for us for another good week. We appreciate you making it a great week by being a part of the Hive. We look forward to you guys joining us again. Money, we'll be talking something about the Super Bowl, I'm sure. So we cannot wait to see you then, but have a great weekend. Enjoy the game. We'll talk to you Monday. Coming up next, national programming right here, ESPN 97.5, 92.5.